morning again. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Galatians chapter 5. We're continuing our Galatians series we've called Centered, as we've been trying to think through what Paul is telling the Galatians and what he's telling us about what should center our lives, that the good news of who Jesus is should be the compass point, should be the directing force for us and how, how we live, how we struggle in life. This week, we're calling it Spirit-Centered Fight. Uh, we'll be in Galatians 5, 16 through 25, and that's on page 975 in the black Bibles that you'll see nearby under the chair, so if you want to grab one of those to follow along. Also, you're welcome to take those if, if you don't have one at home. Uh, you can keep that. So Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25, there's this idea that there is a struggle within each of us. There's a struggle between good and evil within every human heart. And what Paul is going to do is to help clarify and define the issues at work in that struggle for us today. So there's this great fight, this great struggle. Uh, He's going to unpack for us what this looks like and what it means. So starting in verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let me pray and ask God to help us this morning. God, we ask for your help, that you would teach us, that you would be with us, that your Spirit would meet us here. Um, God, we all know there's a, there's a struggle. We all struggle. There's a fight within all of us, and so we ask that you would guide us, that you would give us success. Um, God, I pray especially just as we look at your word, that you would give us an openness to hear what you have to say. Help us to listen to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had the privilege the last few years to help start the basketball team at my kids' school. Um, And so that's been quite a privilege. It's been fun to get that program going. But the only problem is I've never played basketball. Um, So there's been some hitches along the way, right? I I don't actually know the the rules very well. I'm pretty good at 21 and horse. I know those rules, but the actual real game of basketball, I've struggled. Um, So that's been been an interesting thing. When, When we first started... As the guy starting the program, I'd have a lot of parents turn to me and ask me about a call or about something that would happen during a game, right? Like, well, why'd the referee do that? Or what was that whistle for? Or why is he doing that? And I, I would just have to say, I, I don't know. I've never played basketball before. You know, I just had to give them that simple, honest answer. But, but something interesting has happened. There's been a shift over the last few years. Uh, watching my son play basketball and being involved in the program, I've started to learn just a little bit about basketball, Right? I still basically don't understand it, but I've learned enough to become dangerous where now when people ask me, sometimes I try to answer (laughs) as if I do know. Has that ever happened to you? You know, like you, 
you kind of have an educated guess about something, so you start talking about it, and they ask, well, why did this happen? And I'll give the caveat that that special word we use sometimes, I think. You know what I mean? Like, for me, when I say I think, that means I really have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm going to guess, okay? Like, well, I think because this guy was standing there, and then he touched that, and then the ball did this, that maybe this is what's happening, but I really don't know what's going on. And I think in the spiritual life, we have a similar situation. There's this contest. There's this game being played. There's back and forth. There's this team and that team. And this is all happening within our own heart. The struggle between good and evil, bouncing back and forth within us. And we don't really always know what's going on. We don't really fully understand it. We need God's help as a, as a benevolent referee or coach, right, to, to say that this is what's happening. This is this team, this is that team, these are the rules, here's the scoreboard, this is what's going on. And so I think Paul's doing us a favor here explaining what's going on in that back and forth contest within us. And so the first thing that Paul begins to unpack for us is he he clarifies things, he kind of sets the boundaries, right? You know, when you go to a sport you've never watched before, it's helpful to have someone say, okay, this is this team and this is this team and their goal is to get this ball into this area here, right? You know, I mean, it's just kind of helpful to have a basic paradigm of this how it works. So the first thing Paul does is he clarifies this fight. He clarifies the struggle. He, he defines the boundaries for us. Look again at verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, so this is leading off from where we were last week. Last week, he was talking about this great freedom that we have as believers. is not a freedom to be wasted on selfishness. It's not a freedom to be wasted on do whatever you want, but it's a freedom that's given to us so that as humans, we can play the sport that God has made us for. And that, that sport, if you will, is to live life to the full, to honor God, to, to live for truth and, and justice and beauty and kindness and, and to contribute to human flourishing, right? To actually be who God's made us to be. That's what we're supposed to play. That's who we're supposed to be. And so Paul says, so, so you don't become this selfish, suicidal, inward person. You need to walk by the Spirit. You need to depend on the Spirit of God. As human beings, it started back in the garden. Adam and Eve said, God, we don't want you. We're going to do it ourselves." Satan has said, we're better off on our own. And so now we all follow in those same footsteps of Adam and Eve. We all say the same thing. Yeah, I'd rather do it on my own. And Paul's saying, no, it works better if you depend on the Spirit of God. If you trust the Spirit, then you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, he clarifies further, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So he's kind of defining the sides here, right? Like there's going to be a game tonight. Have you all heard there's like a big game going on tonight, I think? Um, And so in the big game, uh, it might be helpful for those of you that aren't familiar with the team. I'll clarify it for you up front. We've got one team that's going to be dressed in navy blue and silver, okay? And then we've got this other team that also will be dressed in navy blue and silver, okay? So I'm defining for you the boundaries. I'm just teasing. They are both navy blue and silver, but one has tennis ball colors, another has red. So that kind of adds and got different little animals on their heads and stuff. So There's different teams, they wear different uniforms. I have a picture here of two different teams playing football. It's an old black and white picture because I kind of wanted you to have a little of that feeling of, I'm not sure what color they are, right? I'm not sure who's on what side. That's kind of how we often feel when it comes to the mixed up feelings and desires and jumble of stuff going on within our own heart. 
right? We're, we're kind of like, well, is that, is that okay? Is that what I should do? Does God want me to do that? You know, there's this kind of confusion sometimes within us, a back and forth. And so Paul's trying to, he's trying to clarify. He's trying to say, no, this team is over here, and this team is over here, and they're opposed to each other. They're not on the same team, okay? They're fighting each other. He wants to make it very clear for us. So there's a fight. First of all, there's this contest. There's a game being played, a sport, a contest, a struggle, a fight. He's saying, this is one team. What, what is the first team? The, the first team is the spirit team, right? We serve a triune God. God's uh, known to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when Paul is talking about the spirit, he's talking about God's team. So throughout the Bible, there's always this, well, you can depend on God's spirit. You can trust in the name of the Lord, or you can trust in yourself, in your own flesh. Paul says those two teams are opposed to each other. Those two teams are opposed to each other. So he says, desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other. They're on different sides. There's a war going back and forth. So just clarify that in your own mind, okay? There's spirit team. There's flesh team. God wants you to trust him. He doesn't want you to trust in your own strength. That doesn't mean you don't use it, right? If you're a doctor, I'm not saying, okay, stop practicing medicine because that's depending on your strength. No, use your strength. Don't depend on your strength to ultimately win the battle within your own heart. You need Jesus to win the battle within your own heart so that we can use our strengths for his glory. So then our strengths are no longer about us saving ourselves, right? My, my gifts, my successes in life can't save me. They're not enough. Only Jesus can save me. And so the, the gospel story, the Christian story, is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Our, our sins were placed on him, so we're forgiven. And he rose from the dead so that his righteousness, that supernatural power is given to us so that when God looks at us, he sees us as delightful and as perfect as his very own son. That's my hope. And then I've got some strengths of my flesh. I, I've got a flesh that God has given me, and I'm going to try to use that for his glory. But I can't save myself with that flesh. I can only use it as a gift that he's loaned me for a while to use to serve others, to love God, to love others, as we saw in the text last week. So we have to clarify in our mind which team are we on. We want to be on the spirit team. And if we walk by that spirit, if we depend on it more and more, that'll, that'll begin to shape us. That'll begin to transform our lives. We'll begin more and more to fulfill what it looks like to honor God with our life, to obey him. It's interesting, too, we have this word, desires. And, and the word desires is a word that's often in the older translations translated as lust. And the idea is an over-desire. It's an over-desire. It's desiring something too much. And so that helps clarify for us when we think about the flesh. Flesh is not just sinful indulgence, but flesh can also be loving a good thing too much, right? So if you're super organized, that can be a real good, awesome gift of your flesh, but you can over-desire that good thing in your life, and you can desire it in such a way that you say, I, I must have this. This is, this is everything to me. This will save me. So whether it's obviously bad things or good things in life, we can make those into a God. We can begin to over-desire them is the word. The Greek word uh, of desire is epithumia. And you've probably heard epi. It's like a word we have in English. It kind of means more or on top of or intensification. So it's basically taking the word desire and adding to it. So it's like this over-desire. It's not just a desire, but it's an over-desire. It's a desiring something too much. 
So instead of trusting Jesus to save me, I can trust my skills. I can trust my, my track record as a pastor, or I'm a good dad or a good husband. Or I, can, I can rely on whatever gifts or whatever successes I've had in life. I'm good at X. That's going to save me. And so what we see here is then two teams, spirit and flesh, and the flesh team is both open rebellion against God, but it's also religious legalism. Do you see how relying on the flesh can both be what we consider in the Bible Belt as obvious sin, right? Just paganism where you're rebelling and you're doing what what all the Bible Belt people know is bad, right? Open sin. That's, in a sense, relying on your flesh, right? That's, we would say, following our desires, following our hearts. So it feels good, so I'm going to do it. That's trying to save yourself by following those desires. Well, religious legalism is, is really kind of the same thing because you're relying on your flesh and your success in religion to save you instead of relying on God's Spirit. See how those are the same? It's frustrating, right? Especially if you're a really good religious legalist. You're probably mad at me right now, so I apologize. Um, but you're like, hey, I'm winning this game. And Paul would say, no, you're, you're losing. Because it's, it's depending on the Spirit. That's what actually, that's what really changes us. That's what enables us to not gratify the desires of the flesh. When, when we're depending on our own strengths, we fall into the trap of self-worship and self-salvation, and our flesh can save us. So it's really interesting. Look at verse 18. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So throughout Galatians, Paul has said, the gospel is one way to be saved, and then religious legalism is another way to be saved. And, and they're just two camps. They're not really three camps, right? They're two camps. They're trusting Jesus, and then over here you've got open sin and religious legalism. And those are both depending on your flesh. He says, those guys, they're on the same team. Which really makes, I mean, Paul's really making the religious legalists mad here. The Judaizers who are coming in and saying, hey, you pagans, it's not enough for you to trust Jesus. You have to also look like us. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the Levitical food laws. You have to do all these external uh, rituals of Judaism. And then God will like you more. Paul says, no, he likes you because of Jesus. So there's this great theological word. Uh, It's not in every translation. Uh, It's in the ESV in this translation. It's propitiation. Shows up in a lot of New Testament letters. And propitiation literally means to uh, make someone pleased. And so it's the idea that God is pleased with you because of Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do, do you believe that God is pleased with you because of Jesus? Or do you believe, no, God will only be pleased with me when I accomplish this goal? Or when I do this good thing? Or God is only pleased with me when I feel this high, right? No, God is pleased with you because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has accomplished for you. And to be a person of faith, to be a, a Christian, a follower of Christ, is to say, I believe it. I trust him. I trust God at his word when he says he's pleased with me because of what Christ has done for me. So Paul says two teams. One team over here relies on the Spirit, trusts Jesus. And one team over here relies on the flesh. And that team branches off right in two directions. You've got the religious legalists and you've got the, the wild pagans but they're both just trusting their flesh. He says, those are the two teams. I have a quote from Philo, who is a Jewish writer from the first century era, and he says this about circumcision, because that was one of the big deals that these false teachers were pushing on these guys, right? They were saying, you need to be circumcised, you need to take on all these external markers of Judaism. And he says this about circumcision. 
Philo says, circumcision is the cutting off of pleasure and all passion. So instead of it just being a symbol of purity, which in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of symbols, right? That we no longer have to uh, participate in because Hebrews says they were all shadows in the real thing now we have in Jesus, right? So we don't need all those symbols anymore. But here, a lot of people thought they actually had a magical power to them, right? So sometimes we do that today, not circumcision necessarily, but there are symbolic acts that we participate in as religious people, and we think there's like a magical power in that. And you know, like maybe reading your Bible. Reading your Bible is a great thing. We want you to read your Bible. We are a Bible church, right? The Bible is where God's Word is found. So please, read your Bible, but don't do it because you think there's some kind of like magical power and God's going to be more happy with you tomorrow. Because God is happy with you through Jesus, And because he's happy with you through Jesus, you should read your Bible. You didn't read your Bible to make him happy. Do you see the difference? And so I want you to think about that. What's the silver bullet for you? For these guys, it was circumcision. I don't think that's as much of an issue for us today. What's the silver bullet for you that you think is going to make God more happy with you? Pray about that. Say, God, help me think about what am I drifting towards that I think will make you more happy with me? Because honestly, I'm not sure if Jesus is enough. What are those things in your life that you're tempted towards? And again, I think depending on culturally where you come from, uh, we, we drift in two different ways. We drift towards good things, thinking this one more good accomplishment will make God more happy with me, or we drift towards just worshiping our own desires, what we tend to think of as just kind of open paganism, that kind of rebellious sin that we say, oh, I'm just going to follow my desires, and that will save me. I'll follow my heart, and that will save me. But what is it for you? What, what is the flesh that you think will save you? And ask God to work on your heart this week and help you to fight the battle by trusting his spirit instead of trusting whatever that is. The next thing that we see is he starts to clarify what it looks like to lose the fight. Okay, so he's kind of given a scoreboard here. saying this is what it looks like to lose the fight. If the enemy is racking up points against you, this is what it's going to look like. Look at verse 19. 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. And now he's going to give the works of the flesh... And here he's just said, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And again, all of Galatians, he's equated being under the law, religious legalism, with works of the flesh. And now he's going to say, this is what it looks like. So if you're either a religious legalist or an open rebel, either one, this is the fruit that's going to come in your life. Okay, This is the work that's going to happen. Verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, I'm warning you, these things are dangerous. This is a sickness in your soul. If you're involved in these things, that's, that's an indicator, a red flag that there's an infection. Something's going wrong, and if you continue to follow these things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom, the, the good life with Jesus. Any of you have ever had a fever? I have a picture here of a mama checking her kid's temperature. That ever happened to you? Some of you have had fevers? Yeah? You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. Um, I've had fevers. I can admit it, okay? When you have a fever, or even when you go to the doctor, right? It may not be a fever. The doctor checks all kinds of weird things, right? You know, they're looking at your eyeballs. They're poking on you. They're checking your blood pressure. They're looking for indications that something's broken inside you. 
And so Paul gives this list and he says, these are the evidences. These are the evidences that something is, is broken. And I just want to clarify, he's, he's not saying, what is he not saying? He's not saying that you will be perfect and never engage in sin again. But he's saying if you're practicing these things, if you're pursuing these things, again, another way to say it is if you're looking to these things to save you instead of Jesus, you won't be saved. You're not going to inherit the kingdom. They can't save you. As a matter of fact, not only can they not save you, but these things will kill you. These things will destroy you. So that's why he warns you. He warns us because he loves us. So we have a very, I'd say culturally, we have a very accepting culture here at, at Grace Bible Church. We're kind of unshockable people. You, you come in, you're engaged in one of the things on this list. We're not going to be like, oh, out the door. You can't be here, right? We're going to welcome you. We try not to be shocked because we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners. That's Christianity 101. And so we don't want that acceptingness to, to make you think that we don't think there's a sickness inside of us, right? So we're accepting because we've all got this sickness, but we're looking to Jesus to save us. And so because we're looking to Jesus to save us, we don't continue to invest in these things any longer. We say, okay, those things, I was trying to save myself with these things, these, these lists of sins, but, but now I'm putting those aside and I'm pursuing Jesus. Again, not perfection. It's not like I never fall again, but I'm, I'm pursuing Jesus now. I'm trying to follow him. Well, let's look through the list again. It's a great list, right? Um, I, I say it's a great list because Paul does this brilliant thing where he, he jumbles up our, our pet sins and he puts them in, in kind of the wrong order, right? Because depending on your culture, um, if you are kind of one side, you know, we tend to think in terms of like conservative and liberal, right? So like if you're culturally conservative, you would say, yeah, sexual immorality, that's bad. If you're uh, culturally liberal, you'd say, yeah, envy and strife and being mean, that's bad, right? We kind of have different lists of sin that we focus on depending culturally on our general cultural values. But Paul says all of these things are sins. They're all sins. doesn't matter which culture you come from. We all have sins and we all have to deal with them. So the list here, he says, he starts off in verse 19 with sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. These are all sexual sin issues. Again, these aren't the only kinds of sin there are. He goes on to other social sins, but... But these are sins and these are an issue. And so uh, continually, the Bible would say that the, the morality that God desires for us with our sexuality is it's a good gift from God and it's meant to be practiced as, as a gift from him in the context of marriage, of one man and one woman for a lifetime in covenant marriage. And it's an expression of love rather than a, an expression of self-satisfaction. It shouldn't be a selfish thing. It should be a giving thing. It should be uh, not a wild thing, but a covenantal thing. And so he, he gives that. Uh, idea here, sexual immorality is just a general word, porneia, for just sexual immorality, uh, sexuality outside of the bounds of marriage. He also uses the word here of impurity, which is a word that would have been more familiar for religious people, like uh, things that didn't fit conservative culture, that kind of sexuality. And then the last word he gives is a general word for a lack of self-control with your sexuality. They, they translate it sensuality. And so these different words are just three different ways of saying our sexuality should be one that honors God. And if you're engaged in other forms of it, again, it's a sign that there's a fever. There's a sickness. It, it's it's going to eventually kill you. It's going to hurt you. It's not for your best because God wants our joy even more than we do. And so when he says, live this way, he says, live this way because he loves us, not because he wants to ruin all our fun. 
Again, remember, God's the creator, right? So he invented our bodies. He, he came up with all the stuff, how, how we work. He knows uh, what desire and what pleasure looks like. The other things on the list are idolatry and sorcery. These are more religious kind of things, right? We shouldn't be involved in idolatry, which is worshiping statues in a specific sense, right? Worshiping idols. We see how throughout the Bible that's blown up into a symbolic worship of anything that's not God, right? Anything that's not God, you can put up on a shelf and bow down to. You may not physically bow down, but you're giving all your energy and your heart to it. So he says that's, that's another sign of the sickness. He talks about sorcery, which is interesting. It's the word pharmakeia. Uh, so uh, no offense, I think we've had pharmacists in every, uh, in every service. So he's not saying pharmacists are sorcerers. Um, but it's kind of like using potions is really what it would be like, right? So it's not an exact translation. It'd be like using potions, using drugs. You know, most of us agree that uh, illicit drug use is a problem. And so he's saying, again, that's a sign of the sickness. That's a sign that you're losing the fight if you're relying on these things instead of relying on the Spirit. The other things he lists here are what I would say in the more social sins, right? The sins that more conservative people culturally are guilty of. We say, well, I'm not doing the sexual immorality thing, uh, but I'm judgmental and backbiting. And that's okay. God doesn't mind that, right? Like we, we think those sins are okay, but these other sins are not. Well, no, he says these are, these are issues. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. So again, he goes on to these, uh, sometimes they're called respectable sins. Jerry Bridges had a, had a book called Respectable Sins. It's the idea of there are these things that culturally conservative people or religious people, religious legalists will say, well, as long as you don't do these sins, you're okay, but these sins are fine. And I would say, no, they're not. They're, they're a problem. Our community shouldn't be marked by these things. It's a sign that we're, we're struggling. We're losing the fight. And then he lists also, again, more obvious sins, drunkenness and Orgies or carousing is how it's said sometimes. So we've kind of got the social sins. We've got the obvious immorality. We've got all kinds of sins here. And Paul, in a great way, he does this kind of in 1 Corinthians 6 as well. He jumbles them all up. He says, no matter what cultural background you come from, sin is sin. And if you're relying on that sin, that's trusting in your flesh to save you instead of trusting in God. And it's a problem. Paul says, I warned you before and I'm warning you again. It's, it's killing you. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And again, he says this out of love, and we share this out of love. And so the the term inheriting the kingdom of God can be thought of in two different ways. I think it's helpful to look at it with both lenses. Um, There's kind of the traditional thought of just the perfect future kingdom. Heaven uh, heaven comes down, we see this vision in Revelation, every tear is wiped away, right? All things are made right. So he's saying we won't get to inherit that perfection and beauty of heaven or the new heavens and the new earth. That's the full, complete sense of the kingdom of God. We, we won't inherit that if we trust our flesh instead of trust in Jesus. There's a real, real fear there. He also, though, I think, is using it in the sense of the kingdom here and now, right? Jesus said we should pray that God's kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. So there's this idea that when we trust God and love each other, that, that there's real good stuff happening in our culture and in our world. There's real human flourishing going on. And he says, you're not going to get to inherit that. You're not going to get to enjoy that fully here on earth if you engage in an ongoing way in these sins. So it's a warning. It's a warning that we would stop, that we would turn away from these things, that we would run and ask Jesus to help us. Again, remember, I just want to remind you, the way the gospel works is you don't clean yourself up so that God will love you. God loves you. 
And he sent Jesus to prove that to you. And so because Jesus loves you, you can trust him. Because Jesus loves you, you can say, Jesus, will you put your arm around me and and help me work on this sin? So because of what Jesus did on the cross, the sin is no longer a barrier between you and God if you trust him. If you trust him, he's going to help you deal with it. So you clean yourself up because you trust him. You start getting rid of these sins because you trust him. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard, right? There's some sins when you start walking with Jesus, you're just like, boom, it's gone. No problem. And then there's other sins that just continue to nip at your heels, continue to nag you, continue to be a struggle. And your faith that God is good because of Jesus is the only thing that gives you the strength to keep fighting. So I encourage you to think through the list. I mean, really look at it and think this week, God, where are the areas that I'm struggling? Where, where are the areas that I'm, that I'm losing the fight? And God, will you help me? Again, help me not, Jesus, to think that I've got to do this to be approved by you, but help me to recognize that it's really killing me and I want to get rid of it because it's bad for me and I want to honor you with my life. I'd ask you to pray through that. What are ways that you can begin to change? The last thing he shares then is, is the positive view of what it looks like to be winning the fight. When the scoreboard is in our favor, when things are going well, what does that look like to be winning the fight, winning the contest? In verse 22, he says it this way, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so this is beautiful. Paul is saying this fruit will be born. It's not a mechanical thing where you go, find something like religious law keeping and inject it into your life. He says, this is the fruit of trusting more and more God's love for you. A natural fruit. As you sink your roots down into God's love and who he is, naturally fruit will be born in your life. You will bear these things. These things will be produced. They, they can't be faked. I mean, look at the list. None of these things can be faked. Can you fake joy? Can you fake love? Can you fake peace? I mean, we try all the time, right? But genuinely, these are fruits that grow from the inside of us. They begin to come out in our life. And he goes on in verse uh, 20, where is it? 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So those of us that belong to Jesus, again, this is by faith, those of us that trust him, the old us has died. We've crucified our flesh. It died on the cross with Jesus. In verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So here's his logic. If the Spirit, if God's supernatural work is what saved you, maybe that's the same power that's going to help you live day by day. That's Paul's logic. It's very simple logic. Again, looking back over the whole book, Paul says, if, if you were saved and forgiven and set free through the cross, why would you now turn to some other system? And start thinking, God will like me more if I dress up like a Jew and start following their rituals. And he says, no, it's only the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life by trusting God. That's, that's what will change you. That's what will make you more like Jesus. That will help you be united with him. So, so what does this look like? I wanted to think of like a really concrete expression of love. I think love is kind of the chief of these fruits, right? We want all these fruits to be exhibited in our life. Uh, all of this fruit. Is that right? Fruit or fruits? Which, I don't know. My wife's not here. She's my grammarian, so I just see people murmuring things. Okay. Uh, fruit. Multiple fruit. Fruit I don't know. 
And love is, love is like the chief one, right? Kind of the cornerstone one. It's repeated throughout the New Testament. So I want to think of what are some examples of Jesus' love that we could look to and say, okay, concretely, this is what love looks like. So a real easy one is the cross, right? Jesus died on the cross for us. He, he saw our problem that we were ensnared in sin and death, and he went to the cross willingly for us to die for us. So at great cost to Jesus, he spent himself for our problem. So that, that's what love would look like in our life. We'd spend ourselves for other people's problems. We'd take on responsibility for, for issues that are not really our issues at all. That's, that's an example of love. Another example is Jesus washing his disciples' feet. That's another concrete expression of, of love. That was a very menial task. It was a servant's or a slave's task in their society, and Jesus did that to show his disciples, this is what love looks like. Just doing everyday stuff, right? Like a mom changing a diaper, Right? Wiping a kid's nose, dad cleaning up after the kids, dad stepping on the Lego and screaming, right? All those kind of little <laughs> mundane things, just little things like that, just serving others in love. That, that's what it looks like. I have a picture here of a statue. There's a statue at Dallas Seminary of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, so that's just a picture of him, image of him. So those are, those are two pictures concretely of what it looks like to love others. And I think all of these then can have a specific expression through all, through all these other uh, fruit that he lists here. So I'll read it again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's no law against those things. As he said earlier, um, if you're fulfilling the law, you're going to love God and love others. That, that's what it looks like. So again, there's a distinction The Judaizers are coming along and they're saying, you can't just trust Jesus, that's not enough. You have to rely on your flesh and be under the law. You have to fulfill the law in that way to get God to love you. And Paul says here, no, being under the law is a problem. Relying on the law for your justification is a problem. But trusting Jesus for your justification works great. And in that way, you'll actually fulfill the law. So again, Paul's using the word law back and forth in different ways. We want to fulfill the righteousness of the law that he described in the previous section as loving God and loving others. We want to serve others in love. We want to express joy and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and goodness. We want to express these things, and as we do that, we're fulfilling the righteousness of the law, the the justice of the Ten Commandments, the, the moral standards that God has made us to live with. We're fulfilling those when we love other people. But we don't begin fulfilling those by trusting on the law itself, by being under the law. We do it by trusting in Jesus, by walking by the Spirit is the phrase that he loves to use. So think through the list. What, what areas do you need to grow in? Uh, my own family, we've used this as a way to pray for each other. We've just kind of gone around the circle you know, at breakfast time and said, hey, what's an area that you want to uh, grow in like this semester or this month or whatever it might be? And we've prayed for each other. And then we've also tried to learn Scripture verses that kind of guide our thinking about this. Um, Because again, it's not mechanical, right? It's not like something you can go out and find and just like glue on to yourself. It's got to be a natural outgrowth of your love for God as you recognize his love for you. So search the scriptures for a particular character trait from this list and how Jesus embodies and accomplishes that for you. Like joy is one I've struggled with over the years because I tend to be kind of a little bit melancholy, a little bit both laid back, but also kind of Laid back in its extreme, I guess, is depressed, right? So 
not always as joyful. And I see that and I'm like, okay, there should be this supernatural joy in my life if I really am trusting the Spirit. And so God, help me to, help me to live that out. And I'll learn scriptures maybe that coincide with that, how I, how I see that Jesus had joy for me so I can have joy too. Like in Hebrews 12, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. So I encourage you this week, look through the list, find, find character traits that you think God wants to grow in your life and then ask him to do it. Don't go out and do it on your own, right? I'm going to, by the strength of my flesh, increase my you know, joy factor. No, go ask God to change you. Ask God to supernaturally begin to transform your life. Now, of course, this could be a great advertisement for everything we're doing at the church. All the things, the activities that we're, we're doing are opportunities for you to trust him more, to grow in your faith. Again, we don't do these things. We don't read our Bible. We don't pray. We don't learn scriptures in order to impress God but because we know he loves us. And so then we want more of him. We're, we're searching him. We're trying to follow him. I just want to close up by thinking about an Old Testament story that I think is helpful. As we think about the fight in the Old Testament, there's a great, a great fight. One of the famous battles is David and Goliath. Have you all heard that story before? David and Goliath. Um, and in the David and Goliath story, there's an interesting uh, little, little piece that I think a lot of times we miss. And that is that the king at the time before David became king, was King Saul. And if you remember, King Saul was like this good-looking, tall, big, beefy dude, right? They, they picked him to be the king because he was the giant of Israel. He was the best-looking, biggest dude in Israel. So they said, that's who we want to be our king. That guy has some strong flesh. We could rally behind him. So when they're in this battle with the Philistines, the, the Philistines send out their giant, their champion, Goliath, and he says, why don't you send out your champion, and we'll have a duel. That way the whole army doesn't have to fight. They'll just be champion versus champion. And Israel's champion, the one with the most flesh to offer, was afraid. So David comes out and he says, well, well I trust God. I mean, you know, I'm not really strong, but I, I could do it, right? God can use me. And that's a beautiful picture for us of, of who Jesus is as our true champion, the one that goes ahead of us, the one that wins the battle for us. As we share in communion, we'll, we'll be remembering together that Jesus accomplished what we couldn't accomplish on our own. He won the fight that we're engaged in so that we can win the fight on a daily basis more and more as we trust him that he's ultimately won the fight. Let me pray for us and then we'll share together. God, thank you. Thank you that you gave your life for us. Thank you that you love us. And God, I pray that you would uh, make us into a community that, that reflects the fruit of the Spirit, that we would walk in love and joy and peace and patience. God, help that to be a reality, a supernatural reality in our lives. God, and I pray for the sins that we struggle with. They are many. And we know it's, it's, it's just the basics to remember that we're all sinners and we all need your help. We all need forgiveness and we all need uh, new motivations. So we pray that you would make that happen in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.